All right, good morning. It's awesome to see all of you here today. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to be thankful for for us as a congregation this week. I, I did want to say, like, people are always just stepping up in, in small ways and in big ways here at the church, and that's tremendously appreciated. So recently, um, we, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do with our snow this winter, and several people have stepped up in different ways. So that is, that is definitely very appreciated um, in all of that. I normally have a pretty good sense of what some of y'all enjoy hearing preached and what you don't enjoy hearing preached. Some of you are sitting there thinking like, well, why would you preach things that we don't enjoy hearing? Some of you prefer sermons on the Holy Spirit, others on the sovereignty of God, Jesus' blood propitiating or covering our sins is a popular theme. And each of those topics is great to preach on. I also know different people don't like hearing sermons on other topics. There are those that don't like sermons on evangelism. Sermons on money make some of you uncomfortable. It is tempting for me to preach on topics that I know all of you would like to hear, but I know that's not what I should actually do. When I was preparing for the, ser for the sermon series we are currently in, focused on emotion last spring, I knew that there would be some of you that would dislike the whole concept of doing sermons on emotion. I imagined you might roll your eyes a bit and say to yourself, Ugh, these young people, they are so focused on their feelings. If you are in that group that doesn't want to hear about emotions, I've got some good news for you today. I think you are going to like most of today's sermon. We are going to talk about why the Bible says emotions are problematic and shouldn't be trusted. Emotions can lead us astray from God. They often result in judgment. Those of you that think that sounds like a sermon you want to hear, you can, you can get excited. Although I will warn you, that you probably won't enjoy the end of the sermon. You may even find it offensive. At the end of the sermon, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to turn the tables on you by applying what the Bible is saying in a way that may make you uncomfortable. On that promising note, let's read today's text. We are going to be reading from the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 17, we will read verses 5 through 10. Let's begin in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. What we trust in as people matters very much. Speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. While the language of this proclamation is strong, it is not surprising to anyone who knows much of what the Bible has to say. The Bible is full of people who place their trust in their own fleshly strength or in the strength of some other person. Goliath was a famous example of this trust in personal strength. He had great trust in his own physical strength. According to 1 Samuel chapter 17, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. That is a confident man. Those who try to be their own masters convince themselves they are strong enough to overcome the world on their own. Some trust in physical strength like Goliath did. Many trust in intellectual ability. Pretty much everyone that trusts in the flesh believes that their will is sufficiently strong that they can, they can be their own master. Trusting in the flesh results in being cursed for two primary reasons. First, a person that trusts the flesh is trusting something that has already been cursed. At the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He recognizes that his flesh has death, the ultimate curse in it. As long as any person is operating in the flesh, they cannot overcome its curse. Our flesh cannot heal itself no matter how much we trust it to do so. The second reason a person trusting the flesh results in curse is that if a person is trusting in the flesh, that means they are not trusting in God. In fact, they are rejecting God. The man who makes flesh his strength will also have a heart 
that turns away from the Lord. They are saying to God that he is unnecessary. They can do just fine on their own, thank you very much. When I stand up here and say no person should trust in the strength of their flesh, most people would agree that trusting in our physical capacities is not a great long-term strategy. Physical capacity inevitably declines with time. I'm reminded of this whenever I play racquetball. Most of the guys I play with are older than me, sometimes 20 or 30 years older, and I move much better than they do. I'm quicker and I have better balance. I would like to think this would mean I won all the time, but unfortunately they beat me more than I would like. But I recognize that one day I will be like them. I will need to rely less on athleticism and more on making good shots and decisions. Eventually, we all know our physical bodies will break down. It's not a particularly profound thought. It is obvious that we should not trust our physical strength, our flesh, to save us completely. While our physical bodies are part of what Jeremiah is saying when he talks about the flesh, it's not all that he is saying. The flesh Jeremiah is talking about includes the sum total of all our natural capacities. As you listen to this sermon, sound waves are, are going out of my mouth or, or through the speakers. And, they're traveling in reverberations of the air to your ears. Once there, those sound waves are changed into electrical impulses through a complicated mechanism that involves eardrums, small bones, and small hairs on the basilar membrane that when stimulated cause a chemical release that releases a re electrical signal. The electrical signal is then interpreted by our brains intellectually. As humans, you are consciously able to interact with the words you hear me say in a way no other living thing can. Both the physical processes related to hearing and the mental processes related to interpreting what we hear are unreliable aspects of our flesh. The flesh we should avoid trusting includes our whole being. All of us is subject to a curse. This includes not just what we think of as our physical bodies, but also our intellect. It includes not just our physical bodies and intellect, but also our emotions. Emotions are a part of the flesh. They are a part of who we are. And like every other aspect of our being, they should not be trusted completely. In addition to the flesh, these verses also mention the heart. Thinking about the heart as where our emotions come from is a bit easier 
easier for us. We are used to that association. When we love someone, we say we love them from the bottom of our hearts. When we love someone and they don't love us back, it causes us heartache. It's worth noting that in the Old Testament, when they talk about the heart, they don't mean only emotion. The heart is where will and volition come from. They didn't talk about the brain as being source, the source of decisions. They talked about the heart. In the Bible, the heart isn't purely emotional, but it does include emotion. The heart, like the flesh, is not to be trusted. Verse 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Our hearts, which include our emotions, are problematic. Our hearts cause us to trust in our flesh. Our inclination is not to trust in God's strength and knowledge, but our own. Such trust leads us on a bad road. Jeremiah tells us where the person who trusts in their abilities and emotional inclinations ends up. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched land, the places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. The visceral imagery is disturbing. The person who trusts in the inclinations of their heart shall not see any good come. Our emotions, which come from our hearts, are not immune to its deceitfulness and sickness. This is the part of the sermon I predicted that many of you would enjoy. You can, you can tell me afterwards if I was right. You dislike the emotionalism of our culture. It all started with those hippies. They were all up in their feelings. Their focus on emotion led to chaos and disorder. While that is a simple version of the past 50 years, it's not totally unfair. Some might add, young people today are even more emotional. They are snowflakes with an inability to think logically. You know what the problem is? They gave them all trophies when they were growing up. They get their feelings hurt way too easily. They lack a sense of humor. Again, there's some truth in this. This is not totally unfair. The problems with the escalating emotionalism of the past 50 years could fill a book, and I'm sure you can go on Amazon this afternoon and find that book. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that brief takedown of our culture's embrace of emotion as a trustworthy guide for life. Because I don't think some of you are going to enjoy what I have to say next quite as much.
Yes, the emotions, the way emotions are thought to be a source of all valid behavior in the present is problematic. It is a denial of the deceitfulness of the human heart that Jeremiah clearly describes. Acknowledging this is appropriate. If any person lives their life based on their emotions, they will end up like a withered shrub in the desert. The present way it is common for people in our world to interact with their emotions should not lead us to conclude that emotions were less of a problem in the past. Prior generations had the well-earned reputation for suppressing their emotions. Now, honestly, for me, if I had to choose between the unfiltered expression of my emotion and repression, I would probably lean towards repression. The fact that I prefer that option should not lead me to conclude that dealing with emotions this way is the best. Emotions that are not expressed publicly don't cease to exist in the person. They don't cease to exert an influence. It is just more unclear what the connections are between a person's emotions and the decisions they make. In one of the dozens of Marvel movies, Dr. Bruce Banner, he's the one that turns into the Hulk when he is angry, explains how he has learned to suppress his anger so that he doesn't turn in to the Hulk. He says his trick is to always be angry. There are lots of people that claim to not be emotional that are utilizing a similar trick. They're just angry all the time. Underneath their stoic veneer are emotions that are determining the way they live. Those emotions may not be obvious on the surface. They may not even be aware of their own emotions. Their emotions are no less of a problem. The deceitfulness and sickness of the human heart, including our emotions, is not a recent Development it is a problem that all people face at all times and all places. It is a problem that everyone in this room has. I find that the people that claim to have no problems with their emotions are the most dysfunctional, not just in how they relate to God, but in how they relate to other people. They have the most issues in all of their relationships. That is the case because these people don't lack emotions. They're just unaware of how their toxic emotions are playing out in their lives. Normally people that claim to not have any issues with emotions convince themselves their problematic relationships are the result of everybody else's emotions. If everybody could just be unemotional, like me. This sort of denial contributes to the unemotional person ending up on an inhabited desert like the aforementioned shrub. They can't love others well. 
They are difficult for others to love. They separate themselves from God. Emotions are a problem for everyone. If you think you are an exception to what these verses are saying, you are wrong. There are no exceptions. You don't have the one undefiled heart. Every person's emotions take them away from trust in God. Awareness of the extent of our emotional problems is important because it's the starting point for a solution. We all need a solution. This is especially a problem in the present where we are told, we are told to trust our emotions as if they are reliable. Just like the rest of our being, our emotions cannot be relied upon. They are not a strength, but a weakness. There is a solution to our problematic emotions. It is not to eradicate the fact is, we, we couldn't even if we wanted to. We are made in the image of God. Emotion is part of being human. You would have as much success cutting out your physical heart as you would living without emotion. You're not going to be successful. All you manage to do is in inflict unhelpful pain upon yourself. Even if you could succeed at cutting out your emotions, you would end up just being like a, like a living corpse or a robot. You wouldn't have perfected yourself. You would have made yourself inhuman. The solution to problematic emotions is to trust God, not our emotions. God knows how our emotions are supposed to operate. He knows how he himself operates. He is able to be both emotional and perfect. If we will trust in God, he will restore us emotionally. He will do so through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to focus on in depth in the coming weeks. What that restoration needs to look like. Emotion is part of what it means to be a human being. The Bible points out that emotion resides in the heart, which is part of the flesh. And that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The tendency of people is to trust in their own understanding. Emotions are a significant part of this trust. Trusting in ourselves ends poorly. Our emotions take us away from God. The answer to the question of who can understand it is not us. The answer is God. We need to trust not in our own hearts and emotions. We need to trust in God. When we trust God, He deals with our problematic emotions. He redeems them 
and he reforms them. We will flourish emotionally to whatever extent we trust God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we sit here today, I pray that your word would be at work in our hearts and minds. Our, our tendency is to look to ourselves as the source of our redemption. And, and when we do so, we cannot help but fail. We cannot help but fail physically. We cannot help but fail intellectually, Lord. And, and our focus today, we cannot help but fail emotionally. I pray that we would look to you to, to restore our emotions, to, to deal with the emotions that we so often trust in place of you, Lord. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We will now 